Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast. Also, welcoming back David Trogue, VP Principal Analyst here at Forrester on the CX team. Hey, David. Hi, Angelina. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm excited to speak with you about the metaverse today. Ooh. <laughs> this is something I know nothing about. So we're going to go to basics here, especially to think about how to design for the metaverse, the UX of the metaverse. Does the metaverse even exist? We have some foundational questions for our listeners today. Maybe we start with what is the metaverse? Yeah, well, that's a challenge because a lot of folks out there are defining it in many different ways. And of course, it's not one of those terms that's been in dictionaries for 200 years. And um, what we found in our research is that a lot of the definitions people are giving depend on their own interests. And specifically, when you hear from technology vendors, they naturally, understandably tend to define it in terms of whatever they sell. So some people define it in terms of, you know, Web3 stuff like NFTs, and they happen to be vendors of something related to crypto and blockchain and NFTs. Others define it more in terms of three-dimensional asset design, and they happen to be vendors of software that allows doing that. So you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's understandable. But fundamentally, we define the metaverse very simply. It's the 3D experience layer of the internet. Period. Now, you know, we can unpack that. There's a lot more to say. And some of the things I just alluded to are part of the evolution of the metaverse in the future. But fundamentally, it's the 3D experience layer of the internet. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, immediately I think about video games, obviously. So is the metaverse mostly video games right now? No, because the metaverse doesn't exist right now. There are several interesting things in your question. I mean, video games are actually an area where a lot of innovation has happened for decades in terms of 3D experiences, for sure. And so they're very relevant to what the metaverse will be and what the metaverse will become. However, in terms of what actually goes on in the metaverse and what people do, games are just going to be a tiny fraction of it. Not that they won't be important. I mean, think about the web. Are there games on the web? Of course. (laughs) It's huge. Are they the majority of the web? No, not at all. It's just like life, right? It just happens that in terms of 3D experiences, because 3D experiences tend to be you know, very engaging and uh, to connect with our emotions very effectively, sometimes in ways we can't quite control, which is a whole another issue. Because of that, you know, games have been a real area of innovation in terms of technology and design and UX best practices that will be absolutely very relevant to designing metaverse experiences. But games will be just a tiny fraction of what's in the metaverse. Okay, so... Who is creating this metaverse? You mentioned that there are some companies that obviously have a stake in this. Yeah. Maybe it's helpful to describe why we're saying that the metaverse doesn't exist yet and what it will take for sort of a minimum viable product or minimum lovable product version of the metaverse to exist. What we, in fact, are calling the primordial metaverse. Here's a way to think about it. There are a lot of 3D uh, worlds out there, virtual worlds that exist, and you could think of, for example, Horizon Worlds, which is Meta's, formerly known as Facebook's, um, world for uh, consumers. They also have Horizon Workrooms, which is their work-oriented virtual world. You know, Microsoft has Altspace VR, which is a virtual world. They also have Microsoft Mesh, um, which is more their augmented reality, mixed reality. And then there are tons of others like, you know, Rec Room, Fortnite, uh, the list goes on and on. Or another one that many people are will recognize is Pokemon Go. You know, this is also, you know, a 3D experience. And so, and part of one of the things I want to emphasize here is that some of these experiences require 
a headset, but others you can experience just using your smartphone. None of these are the metaverse. However, we consider them to be precursors to the metaverse. They're kind of the seeds from which it's possible that from some of them, from many of them, the metaverse could grow. Now, how? What will be kind of the threshold, the point at which we can say, oh, look, there's the metaverse. Very simple. It's the ability to traverse from one world to another. Because right now in these worlds, when you want to move around, of course, you can move sort of by gradually moving around, like, you know, either by walking or gliding. There's a whole, we can get into that. There are various UI mechanics for moving. But for actually sort of being transported from one place to a completely different place, there's this notion of portal. The word portal really just means a link, but portal is sort of a more physical thing. So it's the word that's used in extended reality design to refer to something that usually looks like a door or a window, but it could just be an object, especially in AR, that say when you touch it, suddenly the world around you changes, a whole new set of virtual objects appears, or if it's a portal, you enter it and you're transported somewhere else. But here's the thing, where is that somewhere else? If you're in Horizon Worlds and you enter a portal, you end up in a different part of Horizon Worlds, never in all space VR and vice versa, right? So if you think about it, it's kind of like, imagine if on the web, you went to Forster.com and there were links, but all the links were exclusively to Forster.com and the technology and the infrastructure and everything made it impossible to have links to anywhere else. And for all of our listeners whose companies have websites, your websites could only link internally. Well, that would not be the web. I mean, it would be interesting. It would be a form of hypertext or hypermedia, but that's been around for a long time. I mean, before the web, there was, you know, Apple had a product called Hypercard. And decades before that, there were all kinds of innovative, you know, hypermedia experiments. But when the web came along, you know, total game changer. And the same is going to be true in the metaverse. Once it's possible to have links or the equivalent of links, it's going to be huge. And the industry and the lingo, there's a specific term for this. It's called meta traversal, which may sound like, oh, please, really more jargon. But I think it's actually valuable because it's pointing out that meta traversal does not exist yet. And it's really something that the technology providers out there need to work on to make the metaverse possible. Until then, like if Horizon Worlds or Microsoft Mesh and the others, as long as they remain uh, these sort of islands, these silos like this, they're like, uh, for those of our listeners who remember before the days of the web, there were companies like CompuServe and AOL and Prodigy that were, you know, online services and they were cool. They were successful businesses. They weren't, they, they weren't failures, but were they the web? No, they were precursors to the web. And when the web came along, it completely steamrolled them. So that doesn't mean again, that they weren't successful businesses in their day. And so I think, you know, companies that now create experiences that are these siloed sort of islands of uh, XR can certainly have some success for a few years, maybe, but they're not the metaverse. And as the metaverse materializes, and as a few innovators actually start enabling metatraversal, the companies providing XR experiences that don't play, that don't participate and enable metatraversal, are just going to get stomped. Got it. So to continue with your stomping metaphor, if you want an early footprint in this primordial metaverse, as you called it, yes, you can start to design these worlds these discrete worlds that maybe don't connect to other existing worlds. 
But you also have to start thinking about the design of the metaverse itself, how you plan to connect. And maybe for most of our listeners, that's not going to be their organization that figures that out. But we want to be along for the ride in some way. And we want to be welcoming of that shift in how we design. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's sort of two parts to what you're saying there. One is, yes, it is absolutely good for companies to right now start experimenting with designing for extended reality. And I say that deliberately as opposed to designing for the metaverse because the metaverse doesn't exist yet. So you can't yet design an experience actually in the metaverse. But you can design experiences in any of the precursors that I just mentioned. And that is useful because it gives you the experience of designing in three dimensions, of designing with what's called six degrees of freedom as opposed to two, which is much more complex and it's part of designing XR experiences, of designing experiences that involve avatars as opposed to just, you know, cursors. If you think about it, I mean, when people think avatars, they think like, ooh, how's it going to be dressed? And is it going to have a sport or whatever? Yeah. But in terms of design, it's actually a more deep issue because if you think about it, you know, people talk about presence as being a unique thing in, in the metaverse and in XR. But we already have presence in these 2D experiences. It's just a very narrow band, tiny presence. Like if you and I edit a document together that's in the cloud, you know, I see a cursor with your initials on it and, I, and you see a cursor with my initials on it. Well, those cursors are our respective presences in the document in a sense, right? But they're, this is tiny, it's insignificant, and yet that is a kind of presence. So in an XR experiences, our presences are expressed or manifest as avatars. And that's a whole another thing. So I could go on. There are lots of ways in which experience design uh, for extended reality is quite different. And I have another report coming about that specifically and you know principles for envisioning those experiences in extended reality and the metaverse. But it is absolutely, the time is ripe to get started with designing those experiences and get, getting familiar with them. At the same time, second part of your question, for the problem of metatraversal, yeah, there's a little bit that companies can do today which is to be on top of what's happening in that world of metatraversal and engage with those efforts. So, for example, there's a group called the Open Metaverse Interoperability Group that is affiliated with the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, that is striving to establish standards for interoperability, including for metatraversal, to enable this movement of users from one world to another across these silos to uh, prevent any one vendor from controlling, from being the company that controls something that it calls the metaverse, which in fact it's not because it's you know a silo. So what can a company do? I, I want to draw an analogy again to the web. If you think back to the origins of the web, fortunately for the web, we had Tim Berners-Lee, one dude who created some standards and just released them to the world, not charging licensing fees or anything. And there it was fully formed, a standard called a URL, you know, what we're used to seeing in a link, HTTP colon blah, 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 with a domain name and a path, et cetera. So it was all there. There didn't need to be any fights between vendors. I mean, there were fights about other things like how to represent graphics and settled in, in recent years. But in the early days, there were fights between Microsoft and Netscape and others. But there was at least this foundation of what Tim Berners-Lee defined. Unfortunately for the metaverse, there is no single Tim Berners-Lee, but there are a lot of individuals attempting to establish standards and some companies that are doing it as well. For example, NVIDIA and Apple and Pixar and others have collaborated on a uh, standard called USD, which stands for Universal Scene Description. This was originally created by Pixar. Of course, for 3D animated movies, you need to be able to describe a scene 
and how objects interact and are going to move and the physics of that scene and so on. So that is one of the standards. And there are others like GLTF and there's a whole alphabet soup I won't bore you with, but it's going to be a big effort to standardize all those. And I think what companies can do to understand that and prepare for that is simultaneously one, design for today's metaverse precursors, understanding you can't do metatraversal, while at the same time keeping an eye on what's going on with the evolution of those standards. And when they do come out, embrace them, support them. Most of these that have promise are open source efforts. And there's also a great opportunity for the vendors, the big players in this space, like Microsoft, Apple, Meta, NVIDIA, and others to um, to also uh, support those standards and embrace them as opposed to trying to you know push their own proprietary one. And well, that was a long-winded answer, Angelina, my apologies, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't apologize. And as you're describing this, it, it makes me realize we are in such a better position now than we were when we, when the internet was coming about. And we just had no idea what that could be. Whereas you mentioned Pixar, you mentioned these players that already have really strong backgrounds that coming together could create something. And we could already start to ideate on how some retail company could sell to consumers in a new way or even you know how we could change the game in insurance i would imagine yep. so Absolutely. do you do you have examples where companies are already thinking about this? Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, many of them are kind of secretive about it. For example, some Forrester clients have asked me and other analysts for advice about this. And they are uh, envisioning like, what should they be doing to be ready for the metaverse? And so they're doing what, you know, some of them call it Horizon 3 innovation. Um, others are, are actually doing stuff now, not just envisioning. They're often doing actually experiences that are focused on employees as opposed to customers which enables them to be more secretive. Of course, they don't need to be revealing to the world as much or risking that what they're doing gets out. But companies, I mean, it's famously, this is not a secret. Everybody knows, or most people have heard of the fact that Accenture is now giving VR headsets to all its new employees and uh, has created this virtual world they call the nth floor where people can interact in VR. So that's interesting. It's one one example. There's another company. I actually spoke with an agency that developed an experience for a company that I, that I can't name, that um, is that built an experience for some of their internal employees that advise clients. And that was very interesting to hear about their process and how successful it's been and what what the things that they've learned. So I guess it's a range from the secretive to 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 the uh, to the public. But, you know, one of the things you said, I think, is worth delving into a little further, which is, you know, thinking about how, how the Web started out. There were a lot of things that we take for granted on the web now that did not exist at the time. And this connects back to what I said, you know, way at the beginning of this conversation about, you know, Web3, which many people claim is part of the metaverse. And so think about the early days of the web. It was pretty primitive. I mean, it was the web, but there was no commerce on the web. You couldn't buy stuff or sell stuff. It was not especially secure, most of it. The idea of having an account and accessing your, an account with a bank or something else, the other web did not exist. All of these things remained to be invented, and yet it was still the web. And similarly, a lot of Web3 advocates are saying, well, you know, Web3 promises all these blockchain-based proposals for things like uh, property and privacy, anonymity, as well as things like what are referred to as uh, DAOs, distributed autonomous organizations, DAPs, distributed apps, 
to decentralized control, and lots of ideas and ideals that in many ways are quite attractive to try to solve some of the ills of so-called Web 2.0. The thing is, these are proposals, possible solutions to real problems. So I think it's important to recognize that they are recognizing real problems with today's web and therefore potentially with the metaverse. Like if in the metaverse, there is not, there, there is too much centralized control and there is not the ability to have portability of your assets from one world to another and other things that will be crucial. That is a problem that is going to be unfortunate, but it's not sort of a requirement for the primordial metaverse, the minimum viable metaverse. We will need to evolve solutions to those problems because they are going to be legitimate user needs. Are the answers going to be what people are proposing today, like DAOs and NFTs and so on? Not necessarily. They may be. Um, and there are lots of interesting things going on there. NFTs, for example, most people think of it as you know selling digital art that's really expensive. Um, that's just one tiny application. NFTs have lots of super boring, unglamorous applications like tracking cargo shipments for supply chain optimization. Oof, that makes most people nod off. Um, but as you can imagine, especially given the all the supply chain problems we're hearing about nowadays, that's actually pretty crucial. So all of these technologies are possible solutions to very genuine problems. But fundamentally, the metaverse and Web3 are orthogonal. They could really supercharge each other, but either one could succeed or fail without the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you've brought up user needs, which... <laughs> we can all slip up and get totally focused on what we're excited to design, what we think is the next big thing, and forget about user needs. You gave examples of companies starting with their employees and having their employees probably discover how this is useful, maybe even incubate a little bit before we know what we should do with our for our consumers, our customers. Any other thoughts around bringing folks into the metaverse and and thinking in terms of user needs to do that rather than just designing and hoping it works? Absolutely. That's crucial. It's In fact, it's central to the whole thing. Right now, the user experience in extended reality and then by transitivity, as it were, in the, in the metaverse and what the metaverse will be, the user experience is, I'll say, mediocre. It's one of those things where, you know, if you try it, you'll have a simultaneous feeling of, wow. And wait, this is confusing. I've noticed it both myself and when colleagues and friends and family have put on a headset for the first time recently anyway, often the experience is, wow, I didn't realize it was this amazing. They're kind of stunned, but then they find that the actual interaction mechanics are clunky uh, and inconsistent from one app to the next, one experience to the next. There are all these sort of new exotic notions like uh, gaze and dwell or ray casting or you know pinch to select, air tapping. And all of these are probably sound like complete uh, nonsense to people or don't make it. But in the same way that before you your first smartphone, the idea of like swiping and pinch to zoom would have been like, what's that? Right. But now those are just standard UX mechanics that everybody knows how to do or pull to refresh, you know, those kinds of things. But somebody had to invent those. Unfortunately, right now in XR, there's no real consistency and none of the vendors are really taking a lead in saying, we've done some research and we've done some experimentation. And this is what we propose. In the way that, for example, Apple in 1987 published the human interface guidelines and a lot of people grumbled at the time, you know, you're not going to tell me how to design a menu. Well, it turns out it was a good idea because users loved having some consistency and some well thought out things that sure can evolve and iterate over time. It's not like this is written in stone. 
But having some leadership, some thought leadership it was important there. And we need that thought leadership in terms of user experience for the metaverse as well. The other part of your question, though, which is about sort of the place of employees, our colleague uh, JP Gounder has a really interesting idea that is one of the ideas we incorporated into this report we all we co-authored recently called The State of the Metaverse. Uh, me and JP and Mike Pru and Martha Bennett and Julie Osk. So in this report, um, one of the ideas that JP contributed to it was the idea of reverse consumerization. In other words, you know, with mobile, there was a kind of this pattern of consumers adopting mobile devices and then this pressure on enterprise software and enterprise technology to become more consumer in terms of, you know, better design, quality of, of interaction patterns, et cetera. And it was kind of inevitable, not inevitable, but that was the dynamic. That was the force, right? It was from consumer experience to enterprise experience. And JP's interesting idea of reverse consumerization is that with extended reality, it'll be the other way around. A lot of people will tend to say, oh, I don't want to wear one of those bulky headsets or I have no need for the metaverse. A lot of people are saying that according to our very own surveys. What's likely to happen is they'll have an experience in their job with their employer as, for example, the Accenture employees I mentioned earlier and many others that we're aware of that are not willing to talk about it right now. And then that will make them familiar with the technology. That will get them to engage with it and start finding it maybe acceptable and getting used to some of these interaction patterns that otherwise would have been annoying. And gradually it'll trickle in that way. The same probably happened a little bit with email. Um, I don't have data about that, but in and, and my life, I started using email personally before I used it for work. But a lot of people probably first use it for work because they were kind of forced to. Until then, they just heard about some people who used email, but it was a geeky thing. And then eventually they used it in their personal lives. And so the same will probably happen with virtual reality, augmented reality. And by that point, we'll be beyond these annoying bulky headsets and we'll have something more lightweight, more comfortable, where the user experience will be much better. You mean like Google Glass? <laughs> yeah, well, Google Glass went away for consumers, but it's actually stayed around in a new incarnation for enterprise, which is sort of a, you know, illustrates the point I was just making. Yeah, no way. The rumor mill makes it very clear that Apple is developing both headsets and glasses and everybody's kind of waiting with bated breath because when Apple enters a market, you know, like this, it tends to do it a little later than the rest, but blow them away in terms of design and user experience. And others, you know, like Meta, of course, is selling the Quest 2 and is selling at a loss to get people engaged and, and being, you know, relatively successful at that. Or at least, for example, the headset that Accenture is handing out uh, is the Quest 2 for that reason. It's not the best on the market by any stretch but it's getting a lot of people engaged. And in terms of UX, it does some things quite well and other things, you know, poorly. So there's so much change going on right now that it's both dizzying and fascinating. And I think if you're not closely involved, it can be a little, a little disorienting. But uh, I think that's one of the things I talk about in, in the report that I'm just wrapping up on designing the metaverse is that as you envision what experiences might be in the metaverse, it's important to take a really empiricist Point of view. And what I mean by that is you can't design XR experiences unless you've had XR experiences. So don't trust people who are pontificating about the metaverse, either with enthusiasm or skepticism, unless they've tried it. If somebody says, oh, the metaverse is going to be great, or oh, the metaverse is ridiculous, it'll fail. The, the next question should be, so what have your experiences been in the metaverse? And what specifically did you think was successful? or worthless um, about them. You know, I remember in the early days of the web, people had tended to do the same thing. Oh, the web, that's something for computer geeks. It'll never take on. 
Mm, right. <laughs> uh, or the other way around, you know, the web will bring universal democracy and, you know, solve worldwide hunger and end war. You know, right. That didn't happen either. And I think the metaverse is, is in a similar situation. Sage advice. Stop the rumor mill. Start investigating. Yeah, actually do some research, you know, try it, focus on what's real, um, try to get to the facts. What do users actually need? Users who are, you know, engaging with digital experiences that may not be extended reality, some of which may be becoming to be extended reality. But there's much more of a continuum between today's digital experiences and what's coming and, you know, real user needs that you have to be empirical about in your research. And similarly, you have to be empirical about what in fact, those digital experiences can be in the same way that we had to with mobile devices and the, the 2D experiences that they offered. The same is true with the uh, 3D experiences that those mobile devices offer and some of the more newfangled uh, devices like the headsets that I've been talking about. Awesome. And Dave, just to draw on more of your expertise, at what point can we expect an episode on chatbots in the metaverse? <laughs> well, that is an interesting thing. I think, you know, conversational AI and extended reality actually have a huge point of intersection there for a very practical reason. Extended reality experiences are increasingly embodied. What I mean by that is the way you interact is not necessarily with the trackpad or a mouse and keyboard. It can be that, but often it's often more with, you know, using your hands, using your eyes, using your head. What I mean specifically by that is headsets, for example, will track your hands. And when I say that, I mean often 18 to 21 or 25 points on your hands, like each knuckle and so on, in order to see how you're moving your hands, what you're grabbing or pointing to. So it's not just your hands. It's actually a total of whatever, almost 50 individual points in space. When they're tracking your head, they're tracking how it moves forward, backwards, left, right, up, down, but also how it's turning to the left or the right, turning up and down, right? So that's referred to often as six off, six degrees of freedom. If, since you have these embodied experiences where you're using your hands a lot, that means that your hands are not free to be typing on a keyboard, possibly, right? And therefore, how do you communicate? Well, voice is a natural um, way to do that. So it's going to be voice bots. And those are possible to some extent now. I mean, even for example, with the Quest 2, there's an experimental feature which allows you to, to speak, to give commands, which works well, it's like Siri and Alexa. It works pretty well for simple things, not so well for complex things, but you can see where it's going. So there's a real uh, integration required between those two and a real future for them to combine. But again, it's early days, right? It's like um, I'm at the same time bearish and bullish for the following reason. It's like we're entering a skyscraper that has 100 floors, but we're only on the second floor. So it's super primitive at this point, but the potential is immense. But it's going to be crucial to have really good human-centered design for this to ever work at all for the users who are engaging with it and for businesses that want to have any hope of really surviving and thriving in the metaverse. Well, we're excited to see where this goes and track along with your research to get a better idea of, of how everyone will play a role in this. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. There are going to be some, you know, big winners, big losers. But I think in the, the bigger picture, what's more interesting to me than the winners and the losers is just the way in which it will integrate with and transform in some ways the human experience. We've all, or I should say many of us, have experienced that, you know, worldwide in terms of mobile devices, in terms of the internet. And this is both an evolution of that 
and a revolution. In some ways, I think extended reality and conversational AI are more human-centric technologies than those that we've engaged with because natural language is the way you and I are speaking right now. It's the way humans interact. And moving in 3D space is not some exotic thing. That's our daily life. Touching objects and manipulating with our hands as opposed to going through a mouse or a trackpad. Well, that's way more natural, right? That's the way humans engage with the world. So there is immense potential for this to make our digital experiences, our experiences of digital technology, much more uh, human-centric, human-like in some very positive ways. Um, It could also be a dystopia. And that's what a lot of people are afraid of. Um, That's what was described in the 1993 novel Snow Crash, where the Neil Stevenson invented the word metaverse. And what's going to make the difference between whether it's a dystopia or whether it's not? I'm not going to say utopia because it's not going to be a utopia. It's going to be somewhere in between. But keeping it from being a dystopia is going to require human-centered design and a real focus on what people need and want and will benefit from. The metaverse, a little bit science fiction right now, but a lot of it exciting to be a part of. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on it. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I, you know, I think it's an interesting area right now for people to just, you know, get practical. Um, yeah, envision what it could be and um, try it out. Try it on for size. See what works, what doesn't, and build on that. Thanks, Angelina. David Trogue is VP Principal Analyst here at Forrester. He is co-author of the Forrester Report, The State of the Metaverse, and author of Designing the Metaverse. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Until next time. 